Blog Talk Radio. Um, I just want to have you to have a look at this, this graph. To frame it, it's UK private debt since 1880. And you can see what happens around the Great Depression. Uh, and then suddenly Thatcher comes to power, private debt takes off. Richard, uh, financial sector, a, a bloated or a dominant financial sector, its effect in your view on the real economy? Well, first of all, it's interesting that um, the national income accountants who think a lot about the overall economy, how to measure it and how to you know, structure the data, they actually have been struggling for decades with uh, the question what to do with the financial sector. Why? Because uh, GDP is actually created by national income accounting by adding up value-added activities. And that's where the financial sector has a problem. What is the value added? Um, and it's, it's been so difficult that essentially the um, national accounting statisticians have to make up a fictional value and just add it onto GDP and say, okay, that's, we can say that maybe is, is what the financial sector is doing. Because essentially, there is no value added, there's value extracted. And so, really, you need to subtract it from GDP. Has the finance sector, the fire sector, has it become a cost center? Because is, is, there, as, you know, is there a sweet spot where it's actually serving humanity, society, and facilitating business? And when it becomes a profit generator in and of itself, it becomes detrimental to the wider, to the wider world. So with you. Well, exactly. Um, even the mainstream textbooks in finance, banking, and macro monetary economics will, will show banks as financial intermediaries. Now, there's, there's a problem with that. It's clear there is a high price that we're paying for this, what should be a humble intermediation service that's being performed. And the salaries that are being paid are uh, you know, famously very high, which is very strange if they're just intermediaries. Practically, where does that end up? I think there's a structural problem. That is the concentration of the banking sector. So in the UK, five banks account for 90% of deposits, which is one of the most concentrated banking systems in the world. In Germany, um, those high street banks account for 12% of deposits, and 70% of deposits are accounted for by 1,500 local not-for-profit community banks. There's a general tendency when an organization gets large and larger and larger and gets very big, um, essentially, decisions are made without accountability and the temptations of power strike. Lord Acton famously put it this way, you know, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when you have very large banks and only five of them dominating the economy and through the political mechanism and the already financial sector-centered political system and political infrastructure. You know, the city of London having a person in parliament that is not elected, the remembrance, uh, and you know, all these rights of the square mile as a sovereign state, you know, all these things. And the Queen needs permission and to go there, right? Exactly. And so what you will get is large banks only wanting to deal with large customers in order to do large deals. And that's also where you get the large bonuses. Well, we've done a study on the US, which has the biggest banking sector in the world, over 15,000 banks of all sizes and shapes. The very large banks deal with the very large customers, give very large loans, 
the medium-sized banks give medium-sized loans. Who is lending to small firms? It is only the small banks. Now, the UK doesn't have those. So the structure has become too concentrated, and what is badly needed in the UK is decentralization. One has to break up the, the financial sector and um, have much smaller units because small banks, community banks are locally accountable. You can't suddenly do a crazy project or you know, big corruption because people see what you're doing. But I think you'd argue for decentralized banking system, wouldn't you? Even though you're a city uh, oh, devotee. Oh, no, without a doubt. But, but because it's it, anti so I'd, I'd like Richard to comment on this because I am, and I, as I'm sure Richard is, but we've had our metro banks, we've had our Aldermores, we've had our One Savings. Challenger banks, all challenger, the challenger, challenger banks. banks. We've had uh, Handels Bank. Well, Handelsbank has done a fantastic job, but it's still tiny. Exactly. Now, they will stay tiny. The ones um, that are UK challenger banks and that are profit-oriented, you, know, you know why? Because the moment they get a bit bigger, yeah. they will be bought up and they will disappear. This is exactly what happened over the last yeah. 100 years. Richard, when you think about inequality, inequality in the UK, and it's a hot topic, and you think about, as you'd like the banking sector to be uh, decentralised, flatter structure, more resilient. How do you begin to uh, talk to the public or the political class about achieving those goals? Essentially, you know, if, if, if um, we want to produce something, we need funding. So there's a role for banks in almost everything that's happening in the economy. But what exactly is that role? I just Quickly, I'd like to reflect on that. Banks are being thought of as intermediaries, but this is not really what's happening. Banks, what, what are they then? They're creators of the money supply. So you're firmly of the view that banks create money out of thin air? Yes, well, I, I produced the first empirical studies to prove that um, in the 5,000-year history of banking. Banks are thought of as uh, deposit-taking institutions that lend money. The legal reality is banks don't take deposits and banks don't lend money. So what is a deposit? A deposit is not actually a deposit. It's not a bailment. It's not held in custody. Uh, at law, the word deposit is meaningless. The law courts and various judgments have made it very clear if you give your money to a bank, even though it's called a deposit, this money is simply a loan to the bank. That's true. Yeah. So there is no such thing as a deposit. So you think it's poorly adequately named then? So mm. banks borrow from the public. Okay, so that much we've established. What about lending? Surely they're lending money. Um, no, they don't. Banks don't lend money. Banks, again, at law, it's very clear, they're in the business of purchasing securities. That's it. So you say, okay, don't you know, confuse me with all that legalese. No. I want a loan. I want a loan. Yeah. Fine. Here's the loan contract. Here's the offer letter. And you sign. At law, it's very clear, you have issued a security, namely a promissory note and the bank is going to purchase that. That's what's happening. Put at it all. in layman's terms, what does that mean? It means that um, what the bank is doing is very different from what it presents to the public that it's doing. How does this fit together? So you say, fine, the bank purchases my promissory note, but how do I get my money? I want, you know, it's a I loan, want I want my, my money. Grand, right? I don't care about the details, I want the money. The bank will say, well, you'll find it in your account with us. That would be technically correct. If they say, will transfer it to your account, that's wrong because no money is transferred at all it's already from in anywhere inside the bank or outside the bank. Why? Because what we call a deposit is simply the bank's record of its debt to the public. Now, it also owes you money and its record of the money it owes you is what you think you're getting as money. And that's all it is. 
And that is how the banks create the money supply. The money supply consists to 97% of bank deposits. And these are created out of nothing by banks when they lend because they invent fictitious customer deposits. Why? They simply restate, slightly incorrectly in accounting terms, what is an accounts payable liability arising from the loan contract having purchased your promissory note as a customer deposit, but nobody has deposited any money. I wonder how the FCA deals with this, because in the financial sector you're supposed to not mislead your customers. <laughs> um, anyway, I, so, I, have, I don't have the answer so the, so the banks create the money supply yes. by inventing these claims on themselves, the, you know, the fictitious deposits. That can be actually positive for the economy as long as this money creation is in line with the creation of new goods and services, uh, implementation of new technologies, and therefore adding value and adding value in the economy is funded by this money creation. If that happens, and we're talking about um, business investment, productive loans, productive bank credit, you will have no inflation. These loans can also be serviced and repaid. You have a stable economy without problems and with low inequality. And so countries that achieve this, that the banks lend mainly for productive purposes, whether it's Germany in much of its 200-year history or um, in the last century, the East Asian economies where bank credit was largely for productive purposes, then you're fine. But there's two more cases. I quickly need to point them out because that's the contrast. But, but just, just, just clarify that, that inequality is, is significantly it's lower? Lower, yes. Inflation is low? It, it, yes. And, and, the real, and, the, and the real economy is thrives. booming, yes. That's when bank credit creation is focused on um, productive lending for productive purposes. As opposed to speculation and, and asset as, price. As opposed to, there are two other types. If banks create credit for consumption, yes. it's obvious what's going to happen. You suddenly have more money create, created and more demand for goods, but it's the same amount of goods and services. So you're creating consumer price inflation. Price That's goes. well understood, and, and central banks are watching that a little bit. And what's but the what's, what's less well understood is, and what's the biggest in the UK, um, it's probably more than 70% of all lending, um, actually way more than that, um, is bank credit creation, so money creation uh, for financial transactions, for asset transactions, for purchasing ownership rights. Now then you have a problem. Why? Because you're creating new money, but you're not creating new goods and services. You're simply constant, aren't they? You're giving somebody new purchasing power over existing assets, and therefore you must push up asset prices. So this you can, you can draw a chart where you show you know, asset prices, land prices, property prices in the UK, and it will match very closely, as, as we have, I've shown in, in Japan and other countries. And that also creates the inequality. So when the, the banking sector has focused too much on unproductive lending, and the UK is dominant. It strikes me that what you're telling me, and tell me I'm wrong, is that lending in order to get around this deposit stroke loan situation needs to be categorized. You're right, exactly. Is that right? That's right. Um, we need to look at where the money is going. That makes a whole world of difference. difference. So if money, is, is bank credit, is extended for productive purposes, you're fine. You'll get a good economy, no inflation, and financial stability. And also, you don't have this inequality problem. And do you think there should be different capital ratios towards no. each? No, the whole Basel capital approach doesn't work. Why? Because it's, it's premised on the idea that banks are just financial intermediaries. But they're not. They're money creators. We need bank regulation that recognizes reality of how the banks actually operate. So what you're saying, this is a regulation problem? Clearly, yes, it's a regulation problem. That's right. We need 
different regulation. And the only regulation that actually has succeeded in, in history, and we have good data for the 20th century in particular, in preventing asset bubbles and banking crises, which are all driven by this bank credit for financial transactions. You know, leads to this asset boom, and it, it's a game of musical chairs. You know, you have to play it. It's mm -hmm. rational to play it while the music is playing which is how asset prices are driven by ever more bank credit for financial transactions. The moment it stops, asset prices fall, you get the first bankruptcies, banks get risk averse, the whole thing goes into reverse and banks go bust. But you can avoid this and the only regulation that has succeeded in avoiding this is guidance of bank credit. Simple rules. Um, the simplest form of bank credit guidance is to simply ban bank credit for um, financial transactions. It doesn't mean financial transactions are bad. No, let the speculators speculate and let them even borrow money, but not from banks. That would make a whole world of difference. Who do they borrow it from? Well, they can issue bonds or you know, borrow in the markets, whatever they want. But that's risk But, but they, they shouldn't get access to the public privilege of money creation. You I know see? what you mean, yeah. And that creates the problem, that creates the boom-bust cycles. But in some countries, they've succeeded in preventing this asset inflation. Which ones? Such as Germany, without even credit guidance, by having a banking structure, a banking system that's dominated by banks that don't want to do this financial speculation in the first place. These are the community banks. So Germany was 70% well, of banks. You've the Landers Bank. Being, yeah. No, not no. the Landers Bank, the smaller ones, the 1,500. Okay. Volksbank and Raiffeisen Bank, okay. they're actually the main banks in Germany. There's so many of them, each is small, and they lend mainly for productive purposes to small and medium-sized enterprises. The Mittelstand, which has been the backbone of German economic success for the last 200 years despite wars and disasters, has only been successful because they also have to have local small banks funding them all the way through. That doesn't exist in the UK, and that's been why the small and medium-sized enterprise sector always has, has had a problem in the UK. So we're stuck with speculation and horrific property porn renovation shows. Well, the solution is, of course, to create these small banks. We need to create small banks. They're the natural lenders to small firms. The public wants stable growth, none of those boom-bust cycle banking crisis, public money used to bail out banks. People don't want that. In Germany, these community banks, very dominant because they've never used public money in these 200 years not a single one has ever been bailed out with public money and no depositor has lost any money although Richard your argument is complex principles are terribly simple it is very simple and although you are, I although you're a little defeatist I'm not def you yeah, maybe I'm defeatist I'm, but but I like it but uh, it's just the idea of <laughs> can I put it, Go on. Getting, getting through the regulatory, they are so reluctant. But that's why it is hard work. But that's, why work. We, that's why we got you in. We're going we're to have you I think it's, uh, it, I, I, think, I, I have to say, uh, this has been brilliantly explained. Has the UK got a finance cast? Is it a trick question? Because the UK doesn't have finance. The city of London has, and it's not part of the UK. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. It's international, is right. The city of London is outside the United Kingdom. Did you know that? It's, it's really shocking, and it, therefore it's also not part of the EU, which explains uh, the. It couldn't be part of the EU because you have to have democratic elections, and the city of London doesn't. Right? It's, it's the banks that have the votes. Right? Right. Per staff, you know. Well, the exactly. I don't even how, do you, how do you start yeah. unpicking this puzzle? I never knew. That's a very useful piece of information. And it's not part of the UK because the Queen is not allowed to enter without permission. She's not the sovereign, therefore, it's not part of the UK. You know? and of course, that's since you know, 1688, oh, that's, that's since the foreign invasion. <laughs>
Trust these niggas, they be switching sides Trapping in the band up with your bitches side Money new, hundreds blue, I just spent a dime Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Try and lie me when you find me, better grip your knife But definitely Fabiani, we on a different time Had to hustle and rob, they ain't leave me a choice This can't be life, Jay-Z and Bean's voice Never had a nine to five, I ain't believing that So the block is where I decided I'm eating at The staircase is where the fiends used to meet me at Police searching me looking for work but I was cheeking at Was on that block every night getting to that bag Wanted that Koozie and Versace shit Biggie had Cooking that cocaine till it turned hard I'm living in hell still believing in God I got faith like I'm Frank White Fiends don't want that work if it ain't right Niggas don't want you coming up if they ain't eating The block jumping, I'm out here, I ain't leaving I'm popping, I ain't one of these lame niggas Me and Carmelo Anthony fucking the same strippers Going hand to hand is what made me a boss I know how to bounce back after taking the loss See tough guys turning the bitches in court Just made them realize they ain't as tough as they thought Bodies done drop for this money I got I earned these diamonds that I got in my watch I earned these diamonds that I got in my chain I treated myself for putting in all of that pain I can't trust these niggas, they be switching sides Trapping in the band up with your bitches side Money new, hundreds blue, I just spent a dime Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Try and lie me when you find me, better grip your knife But definitely Fabiani, we on a different time I wanna open this up, telling y'all I'm opening up I wanna be able to smell it before I open it up That shit ain't potent enough, I be plotting low in the cut Looking at the TV like that's supposed to be us But who am I to blame? I'm still a student of the game I maneuver out the rain and bump my shooters when I shame Yeah, I need a bitch that's a down one When them pounds come, make this out of town run Don't lead till your round's done Time to time I still chop it up with the old heads They told me how most niggas snitch when you go fast Told me to switch the hustle to flow dead My brother Pop died and flow dead You ain't quote dead Times I still wish I had a brick for the coke heads Pull up with a mountain of snow and tell them go sled Remember Halloween's back when we used to throw eggs yeah. Stealing mopeds, gave a fuck what the Pope said fuck. Nigga, which one you happen to pick? Judge by 12 or carry by 6 Granddad said be careful with the drugs Don't let them defeat you I said I don't do the drugs I just tell them the people He told me it's cold love when you going up Couple niggas come through and see how you holding up Pictures on your cell wall that you was holding up Give it some time, them packages and them bitches start flowing up I can't trust these niggas, they be switching sides Trapping in the band up with your bitches side Money new, hundreds blue, I just spent a dime Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Me and you are not the same, we on a different time Try and lie me when you find me, better grip your knife But definitely Fabiani, we on a different time Keep it locked. You're tuned in to the hottest radio network on the planet, Evolution Radio. You're listening to Evolution Radio, where the evolution is the revolution.
And why do I say that? Because after 46 years and teaching you morons for 23 years, you want to take the easy way out. Because you think life is a journey. That is horseshit. Life's a journey if you're a moron and you're retarded. That's why, you know, that's what, that's what you've done with the life up here to four. It's been a journey. And how good is the fucking journey? You tell me. Wouldn't you have rather, when the first time you went out with somebody that you thought you were in love with, thought is the operative word, wouldn't you have lied to have a, a template? Oh, let's follow this process instead of, because that is a journey. And all the mistakes you made, and raising this fucking little shithead for kids you got, instead of having this book, life doesn't have to be a journey. It's a journey for morons. You think life is a journey for the Trump kids? It's a motherfucking process, the same process his daddy raised him by. Same for me. Life ain't a journey if you're my kid. It's a goddamn process. So you tell me if you're results oriented at all, Who's better off, the journey or the process? And for the most part, most people in this room and most people listening on YouTube have to come to the realization, as sad as it is, that you have pissed, you have urinated, heretofore, up until this morning, your entire life down a fucking shithole. Very simple. That's it. If you want to create massive wealth. If you just want to be a happy, slappy housewife from fucking Dundee or a happy, slappy bimbo from fucking Toronto or a happy, slappy guy who goes to the Little League games in Mesa, Arizona, then that's okay. But if you want to create some fucking money, and money's not everything. But if you don't money, think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to fucking shop. Say that with an Irish accent. Okay. If you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. If you don't think money can buy happiness, you don't know where to shop. Correct. <laughs> uh, correct. And, but I mean, you can get money and then go save the world. You can get money and save the forests in Brazil. You make money and go save global warming, which I don't believe in. You can, I mean, and save the, uh, the kids in Biafra and all that shit. But without money, you can't save a fucking thing. Don't you understand? Don't the fucking idiots on YouTube understand that? Until you make some shekels. Until you make some fucking coin. You can't help anybody. Because if love got the job done, you wouldn't all be fucked up. And I've had mothers, daughters, grandfather, daughter, uh, son. I've run three generations of the gamut in this seminar here. And they all say the exact same thing. The daughter looks to the mother, you fucked me up. The, the mother looks to the father, you fucked me up. And they all agree. And where it really gets dicey is the second or, three day, second or third days after they have a few drinks, a few pops. Then it gets, it can get fucking ugly, as Sally would say. Fucking ugly. 
Nothing like a mother to turn on her daughter or vice versa. Nothing like it. It's like in the fucking movies. It's like a goddamn soap opera. Because that's life. And if we admit it to ourselves, then we have an opportunity to move on. If we don't, then we're just fucked in the quagmire. You're listening to Evolution Radio. Visit MakeMoreCommerce.com for more remedies with Joey L., where remedy meets preparation. What's happening? Peace to the God. Welcome to the show. How y'all feeling out there tonight? Right here on the bottom line, the New Evolution Radio Network. Call the number is 516-531-9318. Want to get in and holler at me? I'm your host. Uh, we're going to jump right into this tonight um, because I don't want to waste a lot of time. And I want to preface this by saying we do have a webinar coming up this week. It's on Tuesday. If you want to sign up, go to makemorecommerce.com. You can sign up. Uh, I've got several webinars coming up over the next several weeks. Um, so this is a series of webinars. This is the first in the series. I will be having um, a guest that's going to come on on one of the webinars as well. Um, it's going to give you some information on the private banking. Um, and so, as a prelude to that, I want to make sure that we discuss this tonight because this has a lot to do with what we discussed last week um, <clears throat> in the aspect of dealing with private trust, family trust, right? And, you know, when, when we talk about this, right, families are looking for private trust companies, right, with um, less formality. Expenses um, tend to want to do things in the private, and so what we're dealing with essentially is unregulated trust, right? And unregulated private trust companies typically can be formed a lot more quickly. Um, they can be formed a little bit cheaper because they don't need a state charter, right? And they have what's known as reduced capital requirements, and state regulatory oversight is not as crazy as it would be. So you can almost think of these like express trust in the way, right? But these are family trust. And, um, you know, due to the nature of this topic, right? And, you know, a lot of people, they want to know, well, how can I get to the back? How is it going to make me money, right? But the, we have to understand how these things work first before you can implement them, right? Because a lot of people, they're just not ready to get to the securities game. Right, that's that's a that's a game, and I said last week that's a game that if you want to play that game. You're going to need lawyers. You're going to need uh, tax professionals. You're going to need accountants. Right, you're going to need people on your team who who know and understand and understand the private trust game as well as the financial game. Now, due to the reduced level of state supervision, right, there also will Will be um, lower compliance costs, right? And, and then there's a lot fewer files, and all of that stuff comes into play. So, choosing to be regulated as a trust 
is is something that is totally up to you and the people that you would correspond with. And, and listen, it has its advantages just like it has its disadvantages, right? But operating a private trust company under little or no regulatory oversight is a little bit risky. Now, I go back to say that because sometimes, you know, we like to do things in our community um, by ourselves. We, we feel like, you know, we don't need to bring in extra people, right? But some amount of supervision at some point in time could help to detect when you got fraud running rampant. Um, it could help to detect when there's unsound practices, okay, especially when you got family members who who do fraudulent shit, right? I mean, you, you know, we all got them people in our family, okay? But a, a private trust company um, subject to periodic review, right? Um, you know, depending upon if you're registered or not, the state can step in and the state can, can have oversight. Now, I know a lot of y'all, we want to get away from that, right? You, you want to operate your private trust, your foreign trust, in your own jurisdiction, but you have to overstand jurisdiction, right? Because jurisdiction is a big key to this. And, um, and so, tonight, as a, as a preface, I want to, like I said, I wanted to put this out there, that it's totally your choice on how you decide to register your trust. And in the webinar this week, I'm going to go over that. I'm going to show you if you want to go the route of, of registering it, I'm going to show you how to do that. If you want going to go the route of, staying, of keeping it private, I'm going to show you how to do that. Right now, this is not an express trust; it's a family trust. And, and now, listen, a family trust can be set up as an express trust. But when we deal with these trusts, we have to make sure that you got all your eyes dotted and your T's crossed, right? Because private banks, which is what these trusts are, right, are going to either be owned by either the individual or the partners, right? And this is where you get general partnerships and limited partners and all that good stuff, right? So private banks, I'll say it again, private banks are not incorporated, okay? So, you know, when you think about creditors and creditor-debtor relationship and all that good stuff, right? Creditors can look um, to... The, the entirety of what are the assets of the private bank, right? As well as the entirety of the sole proprietor's partner's assets. So when we think about private banking, right, unlike um, its regulated counterpart, right, which is banking that's not private, an unregulated private trust company may have to register with the SEC. As a what, the, what we call an investment advisor, right? Now, in the past, private trust companies were exempt from SEC registration under the private advisor's exemption. Now, you go look at the Dodd Frank Act, right? Um, which they have the Dodd Frank Wall Street Reform Consumer Protection Act of 2010, right? It, it put a whole lot more oversight in there, so. Um, you know, you, you have to dive into these things because if you go look at Rule 144A, when you start wanting to deal with securities and exchanges and all of that, those are what are known as exempt securities, 
franchise. And that we ain't no strangers to that because we dealt with that before. So to qualify under this new exception, right, a private trust company must be wholly owned by family members under what's known as the ownership test, right? Remember we talked about the control test about two years ago, right? Who controls the trust? So when we talk about family trust, it's the ownership test that comes into play. Now, um, when we talk about exclusivity and exclusive control and all that shit, right? We, we have to deal with family members or family entities under the control test. Straight up, right? So both tests can either be met where the family members or the trust for their benefit, right? Or shareholders of the private trust company, okay? Uh, where, you know, we, we're dealing with, and when I say shareholders, I mean your board members, right? Your board members can be your family members. Everybody can be a shareholder. Why? Because everybody has a share in the trust. So alternatively, a private trust company can delegate the investments of the trust, the responsibilities of the trust, right, or whatever separate investments that you decide to make, okay? And you can do that, and you can avoid SEC registration, okay? And this is where you get into Rule 144A of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, for those who don't know, I'm going to pull it up. And if you're just joining us, we said we got a webinar coming up this week. You can register on the site for the webinar. I wouldn't miss it. It's going to be a good webinar. It's a, a four part webinar. I got a lot of information to give out. Um, and I'm not, I'm probably not going to record these webinars, right? Just because this information is, you know, this, this is going to be used to help you build wealth. This is the wealth building tool. Okay, and this is what trust is for. But I'm doing this on the aspect of, hey, we need to build wealth on the family side, right? And so, you know, we, we got to think about people that are coming behind you. Now, Rule 144A deals with private reseller securities to institutions, and this is what it says. So, okay, hold on, let me put it up. Here we go. It's a long section. Okay, Rule 144A. Formerly under 17 CFR, Code of Federal Regulations, 230, is a Securities and Exchange Commission regulation that enables purchasers of securities in a private placement to resell their securities to qualified institutional buyers under certain conditions. Now, generally, under Rule 506 of Regulation D, purchasers of securities issued in a private placement may not resell their securities. But under Rule 144A, it allows purchasers of such securities to resell those securities. If the seller of the security okay, is to a qualified institutional buyer. Now, we, we, we have to know what qualified institutional buyers are. Right? And I need you to understand that when we talk about securities and we're talking about private banking, life insurance is a security. Okay. Uh, 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 mortgage-backed securities are securities. Okay. Uh, when we talk about uh, payment systems, you're dealing with securities. Okay. All this stuff deals with securities. 
Now, qualified institutional buyers, okay, QIB, is a type of institutional investor to whom holders of the securities purchased in a private placement may sell their securities under Rule 144A. Now, Rule 144A defines qualified institutional buyers as, among others, insurance companies, investment companies, state employee benefit funds, pension funds, trust funds that own and invest at least $100 million in non-affiliated securities. Or any dealer that owns and invests at least ten million in non-affiliated securities. Do y'all understand? When you buy life insurance, <laughs> this is why number one life insurance is is a gift and a curse. It's a gift because if you pass, you're giving someone a gift, essentially. And the insurance company loves it because they're going to fucking make a ton of money off of it. But it's a curse because if you are not set up as a trust and you're not selling them the security, it's a resale, okay? They're taking the security and they're going to make money off of it. They're going to do what's known as hypothecation. Now, um, and I, I want to just pull it up, okay? Because th- I mean, this shit, this is how crucial this shit is, right? Hypothecation is the process of agreeing to use an asset as collateral in exchange for a loan. So, what do you think is happening when you pledge life insurance or whole life insurance? Okay, that's that's essentially hypothecation. It's the pledging of your asset. Right, then they give you some type of collateral. Now, under Rule 144A, it makes issuing large quantities of securities and private placements under Rule 506 more attractive because it increases what the liquidity of those securities, which means that, and, and this, we talk about it's sold in the in a private market, what's known as a private placement. Okay, so and, I mean this is. God, this is some of the most crucial shit that you'll ever come across. Everybody wants to know, how do I get to my securities? Well, first of all, when you're born, you already had access to them. They gave you a birth certificate. They gave you, and listen, uh, even John Bay talked about this, right? They gave you the security when you were born. They gave you title. They gave you but they didn't give you equitable title, right? <laughs> so you have to sometimes you have to sue to get your equitable title. But in family trust, you're the holder and the creator of the security under 144A. So you already have equitable title, right? So since the institutional investors who initially purchased the issuer of the securities in a private placement can then sell them to a broader group of prospective secondary purchasers, they at that point, they call it seasoned. So it becomes what's known as seasoned paper under 144A. So it makes private placements more attractive. Right? So the dude told me, he was like, well, I'd get on the webinar, you know what I'm saying, when you, when you teach me, you know what I'm saying, how to, how to draw down the securities. I'm showing you now. It has to be done in the form of trust. Most of y'all ain't using your trust correctly. 
Okay? So it has to be sold, 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 sold to qualified institutional buyers, right? Because a family must first decide the type of entity to operate its private trust company. So when you're dealing with states, states typically authorize the operation of, a, of, of the trust as a corporation or a limited liability company, right? So that does what? Puts it back into the public. But if you want to keep it private under Rule 144A, then you go the private route. And then you can sell your securities to qualified institutional buyers because then you have the ability to essentially create paper. I played the clip before this. So make paper out of thin air. That's what it is, right? It's a, it's, listen, the Federal Reserve does it. The Central Bank does it. They, they all do it. Sovereign banks do it. Right? So then the next thing is the family then has to decide on, on, on the governance structure. How is it governed? Right? And this will facilitate the, the, the management of the trust company, okay? Are you governed by a declaration? Are you governed by an indenture? Are you governed by treaties? Are you governed by municipal law? Are you governed by state? All this shit makes a difference. Then you have to deal, right, because private trust companies usually consist of your board of directors. It, it, it has a distribution committee, and it has an amendment committee. Right? And I'll show you how to use all of those different committees in the webinar. Now, tax considerations are really important because we got to deal with the taxes. You don't think that you're going to sell paper for $100 million to somebody and not pay a tax on that, do you? Unless it's coming and going to some type of foreign channel, but then and that's where the Dodd-Frank Act and all that comes into play, right? So these considerations are predicated on creating what are known as firewalls between Granters and beneficiaries of family trust in order to limit their participation. So, you want to know why you created your trust and you haven't seen no money? Because there's firewalls that are set up to keep you out. We don't want you in here. <laughs> That's how they look at it. We, we, we're not part of this. We don't want you. You have to be invited. We, we'll, we'll let you in if we invite you. But you got to be set up correctly. And everybody don't get invited. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like that party that, you know, your, you know, your old friend had and you didn't get invited. And you sitting back, well, oh, I ain't getting invited to the party. Right? So all of these things are predicated, like I said, on firewalls. So the board of directors as the governing body of the private trust company is essentially... The, the group of individuals that you choose who are tasked um, with your day-to-day -day administration. That it deals with the responsibilities, which include um, regulatory compliance, the creation and the review of your policies that you set up, and your procedures. Okay? It deals with the delegation of the investments. It deals with your administrative duties. It deals with the formation of internal committees. Okay? All of these are crucial aspects. Okay? Now, 
Uh, and I'm going to play a clip, too, that if you own, you're going to want to stick around and listen to it, okay? Because um, it's really important. But life insurance, and that just takes me back to life insurance, because, you know, whenever you talk about life insurance, you are essentially dealing with an asset. You're dealing with a security, okay? And under 144A, if your trust is set up properly, you, you can become your own life insurance company, what do you think you're doing when you go to the life insurance company? What do you think they are? Right? That's what they were set up for. So the distribution committee is essentially in charge of making the distributions from the trust. They're administered by the private trust company. Okay? So the duties of them essentially are they approve, they reject, they deal with your deferrals, uh, decisions essentially um, of every distribution that you do. Okay. Now, when, when we talk about a, a distribution committee, you cannot talk about them without them talking about the investment committee. So, and, and this is why I said at the beginning, you, you're going to want to have some people on your team who really understand this. You might even want to have a person who has a securities license to help you properly place the securities of your trust. Okay. Like I said, I'll have somebody on the webinar that's going to um, essentially break some of this stuff down okay, from the life insurance aspect. Uh, you can ask as many questions as I want. But a family's decision to form a private trust company is generally, and it, it really should never be, driven by tax concerns. Right? You, you're doing it for your family. But nonetheless, right, there are some important things that you ought to consider. In order to avoid uh, adverse income, tax transfer consequences, and problems later down the road. Okay, so your focus essentially should be on what level of control do you have, or does the family have, right? What what kind of discretion are y'all going to exercise? Because you got to exercise some discretion. Discretion is always key. And what I'm telling you right now, right, I'm not, I'm not giving away the meat and the potatoes because I ain't told you everything. But discretion is always key. The, the key focus is on your level of control and discretion, which is exercised by grantors and beneficiaries of the family trust, which is essentially administered by the private trust company. Okay, so we're going the paper route. Remember, I talked last week about the wrap. Okay, so the paper route, right, the governance structure that you set up and the procedures is your family's. Right, it's a, it, and listen, it's a, it's a family decision. All right, um, we got about an hour, so what I'm gonna do, because um, like I said, this, this is crucial, right? And, Private banks are owned by partners, and, and, and they deal with partnerships, okay? And so when we talk about the family trust structure, you can't talk about that without actually talking about the fact that private trusts become banks. When you start selling securities and your family is putting its own life insurance policies together and shit like that, they're becoming a bank. And this is why, I'm going to be honest with you. This is why you really got to watch niggas in your family Because this is where niggas start getting a little greedy Right, and if everybody ain't on the same page 
this is where you start having issues in your family, right? And niggas gotta watch their back because money is now created through a family circle. And this is and this is why you gotta have people who ain't rogue, who do stuff with clean hands, who do stuff in good faith, right? And you gotta have people. There's oversight. You you might even and I'm gonna say this. You might even want to create if you have the word thought. You might even want to create a a your own um tactical police force for your trust, right? Private security forces for your trust. I mean, this is the type of stuff that wealthy individuals do, right? And I'm talking we're talking about real wealth. Because don't forget that trust can give out gifts, right? And when trust start giving out gifts, right, there has to be oversight to the gifts. So a private trust company can serve as the trustee of the family, right? Um, so basically, the trustee has discretionary powers, okay? And you got to remember, you got to keep the trustee in check. Trustees can get out of line, they can get out of hand. So a precluding grantor, right, and their spouses and all that, right, are basically precluded from participation in discretionary distributions from trust. Okay? Because they would be grantors. Um, and sometimes they'd be beneficiaries, sometimes they'd be both, or one or the other. Okay. And then you also have to prohibit family members from basically entering into what are known as reciprocal agreements that would affect the distribution decisions or the grantors will not have the power to change the interest of the beneficiaries. And this is why I said you got to have people in your trust who you trust. Everybody in your family, you might not want to put in your trust. Uh, uh, little, you know, little Pookie might just need to be a beneficiary. Little Pookie might not need to know what's happening in the trust all the time because Little Pookie might be a snake. Right? I know y'all understand what I'm saying. So a private trust company may be appointed and it may serve as the trustee of a family trust. And you do this not to jeopardize the tax status of the trust and change the inclusion ratio and all that other shit. Right? So the appointment of a private trust company as a successor trustee is essentially considered what's known as an administrative change. Okay, And this is where when we talk about um, setting up your, your, your indenture and your declaration and all that stuff, you, you get into the, the whole conversation of beneficial interest. Right? Who has beneficial interest in a trust? Same thing with the birth certificate. Who's got a beneficial interest in the birth certificate? Right? See, we're not far away from that conversation still. The birth certificate, right, is still an instrument. It, it, but people don't typically know how to use it. So if it's never been authenticated, right, and then put in the county record and all that stuff as something that you hold and own as a beneficial owner, you don't have a beneficial interest in it. Right? So I personally took my birth certificate in my trust. It's in the county, all that good stuff, right? It has been done. So then the next step, the next step, right, is to deal with the securities of it. But what I'm telling you is that that's not the only type of certificate that can be created. Trust certificates are created all day long, all the time. 
right, so this is how we're going to get into it. Um, and hopefully y'all understand what I'm saying because it's a lot of information, right? And a lot of people don't do their research with this information. And it's all law. Like, anything that we're talking about, you can find it in the law. It's not, you're not making this stuff up. If you go look at the Bank Secrecy Act, which is also known as the Financial Privacy Banking Discretion or Bank Safety Act, right? It deals with conditional agreements between bank to bank, right? And its clients, right? And they deal with um, securing information, keeping it confidential, and keeping shit private. So most often, right, people associate. Um, you know, private banks with stuff in like Switzerland or uh, Germany or Hong Kong or Singapore or Ireland or Lebanon or offshore banking institutions. But what they don't talk about are trust. Right? But they, people don't talk about trust. Offshore banks are regulated under international banking licenses. Often, this is the offshore license. Normally prohibit the bank from establishing any business activities in a jurisdiction or establishment. This is why you'll see some really, really big banks that never come over over here, right? They they never come stateside. Now, due to less regulation, right, transparency, right, offshore banks people use them to hide money. This is what they do. People be hiding money in offshore banks. Right now, and if you are astute enough to know how to do that, then you got the right people, right? Um, more power to you, right? But the OFCs often use that uh, they do what's known as levies, right? So they levy title, right, to assets. Okay, they deal with uh, no taxes, no corporation tax personal income, all that stuff, right? And so offshore banks deal with privacy. They're tax havens, just like the trust is a tax haven. Now, I'm not talking about tax evasion, right? Because people do this legally and lawfully for tax avoidance, which is a whole different thing. Now, offshore banking does not essentially prevent assets from being subject to income tax, though. This is another reason why I'm saying that depending upon how you set up your structure, if you're living in America, okay, depending upon how you set that up will largely determine how you're taxed. And this is where you get stuff like clearing houses and all that stuff. From. Now, and, I, and I'll make a quick note about the clearing house, right? Because when you're dealing with banking and dealing with finances, Clearing, the word clearing essentially denotes that all activities from the time of commitment is made for a transaction until it is settled. And so essentially the process turns the promise of a payment, right? So we talk about a check or electronic payment or any of that stuff, right? It essentially turns it into actual movement of money, the clearinghouse. Okay, so people would create these clearinghouses to facilitate these transactions amongst banks from one bank to another bank. Um, they call it today the SWIFT system. Okay. So systematically, right, you talk about payment systems. Right, payment systems are, are 
systems that have been set up um, that have a, char- a characteristic, if you will, right? Um, that um, it, it's essentially it deals with the economy as a whole, payment systems, right? So you, the Federal Reserve System is a payment system. Uh, the Euro Banking Association has a payment system. Uh, they have something called Target Two. That's a payment system. These are check clearing systems. And, and let me tell you something. You you have to be upright when you're dealing with these systems, right? Because they go through Interpol. Interpol is the international police. They go through the central banks, right? So you can't just be like, oh, I'm I'm going to start writing my instruments from my trust, right? And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to write an instrument for 100 million and then get paid off of it. Doesn't quite work like that because what's it backed by? Is there an asset? See, the Federal Reserve is backing everything because everybody's lending, everybody's getting from them. They don't wear, they don't wage the war. You're going to use our dollar or, or we're going to kill you. That's how they do shit. Right? And so now you start to see where the currency is backed by gold or, or, or the cryptocurrency is backed by gold. Right? So there's something that's backing it now. To a certain extent, but we know the FRNs typically are not backed by anything. But it's a payment system that people trust, right? Because it's it's created a credibility, and, and, and don't think that the Federal Reserve is not a trust because they don't trust. All right, all right. So we're going to get into it. I got a uh, audio that I would like to play. I want you guys to hear. Um. And what we'll do, what we'll do is after we play it, we got enough time to come back over to the call lines. Um, if you want to holler at me, uh, press one. Um, other than that, make sure you sign up for the webinar. We got a webinar coming up this week. Got them over the next couple of weeks consecutively. All right. Um, I'll take a call before we get into this audio. Let's see what's happening. Um, and like I said, the webinar is 125. It's on the site. We're going to go into how to set up the family trust. It's a little bit different than the I have, you know, we still use Express Trust. And you can use this similar to the Express Trust, but this is a bit different. And this is, like I said, this is to help your family. This is to help preserve wealth in your family. And this also will show you how to do private banking within the family structure. And it also helps people stay accountable. We're going to be accountable for each other. You can't take Pookie out of the trust because Ray Ray is looking over the trust. And so is Susie and, 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 and Mike and everybody else that's in the trust that's in your family, right? So there's oversight. All right. Let's go to the call line and then we'll uh, play this audio. 310-846 on the line. Hey, yo, Joey. What's up, man? This is uh, it's the call, Bay, man. You dropping some twos tonight, man. Um, I really appreciate the knowledge dropping tonight. I wanted to ask a question, man. So, if I pay for the um, webinar on Tuesday, is it an ongoing webinar where we we have to listen in every week, or is it just once a week, or is it that one week? So, so that that's that's for the first week. That covers you on the first week because we're going to do four different um, four different sections, and we're going to also deal with the state planning too. So the, the first week we're going to deal with setting up the trust. The second week we'll deal with the estate planning. The week after that we'll deal with the private banking section. And I haven't quite decided on what I want to deal with on the fourth week. 
Um, so, but each week is a different section to this. So it's building up on itself. All right, man. Uh, thank you. And I just wanted to say this too as a testimony, man. Those of y'all that are listening out here, man. Um, I was uh, in a bad place, man. Joey really helped me out, helped me get my trust together, my unincorporated association. Um, I, I'm telling you guys, man. Um, stay with Joey. Stay connected to him. And uh, we, we are blessed to have him in a position where he can give us the knowledge that he's given us to help us uh, to find remedy and also to put us in a better place financially. So I just wanted to give you your kudos, man, and say, tell you thank you, man, for everything that you're doing. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. I'm honored. Thank you. All right. Um, you got any more questions? It's good. Oh, no, nah, man. That's it. I, I'll be there Tuesday, man. I'll be there Tuesday. Um, okay. So, yeah, I just wanted to get the, you know, just to understand how we're doing it every week. So, every week is it's a different thing. All right. Yeah, I'll yeah, be there. Every week is going to be different. I'm going to build on it every week. Specifically because it, there's a lot of information. There's probably too much for me to, to go over. You know, niggas got ADD. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to try to do it uh, one week at a time. And it's going to build on itself. Um, and it will allow people to, to get the information that they need. Because like I said, like, brother asked me earlier about how to use it for security. So we're going to go into that. We're going to go into it from the aspect of the family. All right, man. Well, I'll be there. Right, thank man. you so much for the, for the information. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So we're going to play this audio because I want y'all to hear this. Um, and then we will... If you have any more questions, we'll come back after this, all right? So we'll, here we go. Let's get into it. How does the bank get our money? How do they get us to deposit money into their bank so they can be able to trade it, lend it, lend it, trade it, trade it, lend it, lend it, trade it? Yeah. 
you like, why? You know, because I want my money today. They be like, okay, why? But like, because I want my money today. Okay, so we have to set up an appointment for you to sit down so that you can get your money. And you be like, tell me why? <laughs> why? Because we got to understand. We got to understand. That they wanna they want to consume our assets and our wealth so they can be able to build theirs and give us back fingers on the dollar. So the question is how do the banks get our money? Y'all wanna know something very simple? How do the banks get our money? You wanna know how to get the, get our money? The banks get our money. Watch this, watch carefully now, okay? Watch carefully. The banks get our money. Um, you ready? By selling products. <laughs> We're gonna make this thing difficult. <laughs> I wonder how should we get their money? Oh, another businessman got with another businessman and said, Hmm, John, how can we get their money? Let's sell them products and call it a service. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Sir Winslot, what do you have in mind? Uh, Well, let's just say we're going to do something called, um, we're going to sell them a checking account. And inside this checking account, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say that they can access their money at will uh, 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 as long as they have a, a, a receipt that shows that, that we have their money. See, what somebody said in realize is that this was an IOU note. They said, oh, my gosh. They said, what are we going to do? We're going to tell them that for 20 pieces of gold, that this $20 bill is equivalent of 20 pieces of gold, and they can go to another bank and get 20 pieces of gold or come back to our bank and get 20 pieces of gold as long as they got this that says this information. Oh, my God. They said, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So if we just create pieces of paper and we're sitting on that 20 pieces of gold, all we have to do is print more $20 pieces of paper because nobody's going to all come and get their money at the same time. They're not going to come and get their gold at the same time. So as long as we create more paper, more paper, more paper, and keep exchanging the paper, they can keep exchanging the paper with each other while we hold their assets. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. What's another product we can create? A savings account. What's another product we create? A CD. What's another product we can create? Security. Deposit. We hold their assets. Why? Because there's nothing safer and no safer place than the bank to hold your assets. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Because we know that they don't know what to do and how to protect their own money. We're going to create banks to where we can protect it for them. Because the people need a protector. So we're going to sell them products and services and get them to give us their money.
it's gonna be a home. It's gonna be like a home note. Okay, why? Why, 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 why do we do that? Because Joe, listen, Joe. If we keep giving money to the business owner, if they lose their business and go bankrupt, they ain't got to pay us. Now listen here, Joe. Shit, now I'm trying to help you. We gotta lend more money on the stuff that we can confiscate, so at least we get our money back. Because guess what? We borrowing money from you. We selling them products, they use them, but it's borrowed money, Joe. We gotta make sure we get the money back so we can pay them if they need it, girl. We can't keep them on bank alone. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So, so, so tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. So I'm thinking after we give them like some type of promissory note and put them in like a 30 year promissory note where they can pay off their house in 30 years. Oh my goodness. We can have them paying us for 30 freaking years, Joe. 30 freaking years, they can pay us for 30 years. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me you think that? Yeah, but we got to create some marketing behind it. We got to get the government behind it because I know the government right now, they need more taxes. And the more or the people that own properties, they pay taxes. So we get all of the world into buying homes, they can have more taxes so that the government continue to get bills. So we got to go to the government, Joe. We got to have make sure this plan is right. But we got to come up with some type of marketing. We gotta come up with some type of marketing. Oh, I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna sell them what's called the American Dream. Now, 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 this what do you mean, American Dream? Listen to me, Joe. Let me tell you now. You've been coming with all the ideas. I'm trying to help us make some money. Okay, Dick, tell me, Joe. Listen, this is the American Dream. We're gonna say everybody deserves a home, a white picket fence, and a dollar. And we're going to show them pictures of their children growing up in this home. Think about it, Joe. Everybody got them a little piece of land, got them a little house, get them a little thing. Guess what? We can make a bunch of bang off that I'm trying because they're looking for something. We got to give them a dream. Okay, so we created a product to get their money short term. Now we got to create products to sell to the No, we can't just keep selling money to the business owner. We got to get the money to the customers because the customers, they're going to always keep using us. The business owners, they're going to use us for a little bit, but when they make money, they don't want to come to us no more. We got to get to a customer that's going to always come back. Now, Joe, everybody want a house and everybody want a car. Dick, I think you got a point, Dick. You got to keep yelling at me. This is what we're going to do. We're going to call it the American dream. We create a mortgage. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to, we're going to, then what we're going to do, we're going to make them think that equity is growing up in the home, but it's really just the cost of living growing. So they're going to think it's a great investment, but we don't even know and really understand. So what we're going to do, then they're going to, guess what? Buy these products from us, borrow money, and then pay us back every month for the rest of their life, baby. We do that, man. We got the greatest scheme and skits in the world history. Now, of course, I was extra when I was explaining that, but as you guys can see, the banks understand what we talked about originally. They know how to get our money, perform a service or a product, give us some type of product for the short term, and then they go and make long-term plays offering products and services to us with the understanding to receive it back and to get lifetime customers from that. So they get money from us only to get money from us <laughs> to have it come back to us. Y'all see that? 
So what you got to understand is that before I can even teach you how to be the bank, you got to realize that the bank is robbing you if you're the consumer for sure. As a producer, you can leverage money, put yourself in situations to where you're not being used by the bank. But remember, leverage is borrowing money, expecting the profits made to be greater than the interest payable. So let's see. A lot of y'all are going to be real mad at this example, but I got to show you the proof. Oh, my goodness, where is the house? I cannot believe. I, can't, I cannot believe this, y'all. The house is gone. I wanted to show y'all the house. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Got to show out the house. Where's the house at? Where's this daggone house? Because if I can't show it right there, I'm going to pull it up on my computer, but we're going to watch it, and we're going to get some game, and we're almost done. But the biggest thing I want you to understand is that when it comes to being the bank, you got to understand that the bank ain't your friend. The bank, the bank is trying to find a way to get you to utilize them forever. Bang, it was supposed to be right there. And I don't know why it's not showing up, but it's white as hell. But that's going to give me a time example to bring you on down and show you something real quick. Unfortunately, y'all won't be able to see it. Unfortunately, y'all will not be able to see it. However, what I will do is for those that are on YouTube, I will share my screen, and I will go over this with y'all. Okay? Mortgage calculator. We're going to go to the mortgage calculator. When we go to the mortgage calculator, it's for everybody that thinks Everybody think that the bank is your friend and your homie. I got y'all Instagram. I got y'all Instagram. I ain't gonna leave y'all hanging. Hold on. Let me show. Let me show y'all about this great this great business move the banks did. All right. I'm gonna show y'all the text if I can't because the phone is being used. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm about to show y'all something. Right. Let's look up what the average average uh, interest rate on a home loan. Google. Y'all see that, right? Google. Average interest rate on a home loan. Okay, the average rate for a 30-year the average interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage is what? 399. We're going to go to this mortgage calculator. We're going to go to this mortgage calculator. I don't know on YouTube. Hold on. I'm going to get y'all life together. Um, we're going to go to this mortgage calculator. Hold on. I got to get YouTube up to speed. Come on, come. Entire screen, buddy. Hold on. Now I don't want to. Now I don't want to show my screen. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad. All right. Put that in there. Hold on, y'all. I'm trying to. I'm trying to help my YouTube folk out. Wait. Average cost of a home in the United States of America, $374,000. Y'all see that? Average cost of a home in America. It's three hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. Yeah, average cost of a home in America is three hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. So we're gonna go up. We're gonna three hundred seventy-four thousand dollars. So three hundred seventy-four thousand dollars for a over thirty years, you don't pay six hundred and forty-two thousand dollars over thirty years. Let's do some math here. Okay. If I'm going to pay $642,000 over 30 years, let me say out of bank hustle. The house costs $374,000. The bank made $268,000 in interest on your $374,000 house. If that ain't the hustle of the hustle, I'm going to show you out of text, right? I'm going to show you out of text real quick. I'm going to show you the text. I'm going to show you the text real quick. I'm going to show you the text real quick. Listen, because people like to sell y'all strategies and they like to sell y'all on emotions. I'm showing y'all straight facts. Let's look at this. My partner says, so my wife's uncle, who was 76, bought a house in 1970 for $37,000. It's now worth $800,000. I know a lot of y'all going to say, well, dang, Jake, it's now worth eight. It's now worth uh, it's now worth um, $800,000. He bought it for $37,000. Boy, that's the jail. He's living, right? So watch this. He lives in San Diego. It took 51 years to do this. Now he's contemplating selling selling the house to take his game. But oh wait, he will need to buy a new house in San Diego. I wonder how much that's going to cost. It's not equity, man. It's just keeping up with the cost of living for that time period. Why is it so hard for people to grasp? Okay. that's growing at that speed to borrow money with the understanding that you're going to make money off of the borrowed money. So now Unc won't have to relocate. But what 76-year-old, what 76, y'all listen, listen, y'all listen, 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 listen. What 76-year-old is going to relocate and they've been living in one area for 51 years? It's not that I do not suggest ownership. What I am saying is that ownership alone is not a home that you live in. 
is not an investment. It is a cost of living. If you're going to use the bank, you need to be using the bank for things that will make you money, not for things that will let, uh, help your lifestyle. So I'm not telling you not to own a home. What I am saying is that to think that mortgaging and borrowing a home, mortgaging and borrowing a home is an investment based on statistics and numbers, it is not. You have to live in one area for 30 to 50 years, that money grows, and then you will have to go find an area that you've never lived in before to keep those profits that you need. In order for you to, in order for you to feel confident and comfortable in the profits that you have. Now, Jake, Jake, you may say, Jake, you may say, Jake. Hold on. But that's what somebody should do. Somebody should, without a doubt, make that money and then go live somewhere else. And let me tell you how unrealistic that is. Some of y'all have been living in the neighborhood for 10 years of your life and still refuse to move out because of what? Comfortability. You have to have some type of understanding of what? Common sense. If somebody's been living somewhere for 30 to 50 years, their entire family and everything that they know is in this location. The likelihood of them moving somewhere else in their older age away from family is literally ridiculous to even think of that to be an assumption that that would happen. So no, borrowing money So no, borrowing money, borrowing money for things that are liabilities, which means they do not make you money, it's not an investment, it is a what? Liability. What do banks, what does the government have in common with banks? It's very simple. The government has in common with the bank. The government has in common with the bank is they know how to get our money, make money off of our money, and continue to grow and expand. Why? Because the government is nothing but a big bank. Jake, what do you mean? How does the government get our money? It's called taxes. Y'all want to know a funny fact? Here is a funny fact. I'm working on lowering my voice and controlling my, my, my passion so that you all can hear me clearly and I don't, I don't feel like I'm uh, overbearing, okay? How does the bank, how does the government operate like a bank? Do y'all know that the four founders of America, and I say four founders, you know, in quotations, the four founders of America, they left England because of taxes with the promise that America would never be a place of taxes, only to set up America to depend on the very taxes that they ran away from England from. So they created a system called business. So if you own a corporation, you can write off taxes and end up not paying any taxes, therefore living the American dream. 
So they passed off 100% of the risk to the consumer, where the consumer pays taxes because they don't understand the importance of having business corporations or LLCs or write-offs. This is why I'll be telling y'all in my course, if you do not have a corporation for your family, y'all are not a family. Y'all are consumers getting killed. I'm just giving y'all facts. No chaser. Straight, straight game. Hold on, hold on, let me tell you something. If y'all think that this information is good, y'all ain't even been in my course. If y'all, if you think this information is valuable, right now, press number seven, right now. If you think this information is valuable, press number seven, right now. If you think this information is lit, you ain't even touched my course. You ain't even touched the real information. So when you were born, go look up your own history. Your birth certificate is a corporation. <laughs> and a part of being a part of this corporation, you have to pay what's called just do fees, aka taxes. To stay within the corporation, to stay compliant to the corporation that you registered your business to. The only difference is you have no control of your corporation, i.e., your birth certificate. So if I were you, I wouldn't even do a business in your birth certificate name. I would create an LLC with your same name. So if you're, so if you're Taraj Johnson, I would create a Taraj Johnson LLC and do business from your Taraj Johnson LLC. Not your birth. Okay. You learn that in my course. So I'm going to show you that there's a way to reduce this so you can increase your living. The last thing is Wall Street. I ain't got time to talk about that. Y'all know what that is. I'm going to show y'all the strategy. Well, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you exactly where the banks keep their money. I'm going to show you exactly where the banks keep their money. Why is this important for me to show you exactly where the banks keep their money? Because how can you duplicate the banks if you don't know exactly what they, how, they, how they keep how, what they do with their money? How can you duplicate them if you don't know where they keep their money? Is that safe to say? So when I teach you how to be your own bank, I'm not teaching you just strategies out of my behind. No, 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 no. I'm teaching you strategies that will save your behind. No, 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 no. Can I tell you all a secret? I don't hate the bank hustle. I just want you to play and be the bank. I don't hate the bank hustle. I hate that you don't know how to operate like the bank. That's what I hate. 
Okay. Okay. Okay, let me give you context. The banks trade the best play in the world. Not only do they use our money to get wealthy, that's what the banks do. They use our money to get wealthy. Not only do they use our money to get wealthy, they created a corporation called the FDIC. And this independent corporation, this independent corporation that created the FDIC is funded by us. Y'all are saying that I froze. Mm. 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 Am I still frozen? Let me see if I'm still frozen. I'm not still frozen. It's funded by us. Jay, what do you mean? It's simple. Go look up who funds the FDIC. So now, when you when you when you look up when you look up the banks, right? Okay. The reason why the reason why y'all listening? The reason why. Let's get this guy out of here. The reason why that we can go and see the assets and liabilities ledger of these banks is because the FDIC, let me get him out of here too, the FDIC is, um, I did, I did. They threw me off for a second. The FDIC is public information, which means that if you do not know how to find the information, which is why I told you to look up the, the, the URL, you also will not know how to find the information I'm about to show you. So, what, what industry do you think that banks, um, what industry do you think that banks spend the most of their money in? Real estate, Stock market, where do you think they put their money? Real estate, stock market, where do you think they put it? Well, a lot of y'all talking about insurance because I taught y'all. If I already taught y'all and y'all know this, don't put that. This is how I know y'all over here gassing. Y'all just ruined it. Y'all just ruined it. Okay. Y'all just ruined it. Y'all know if I taught y'all that y'all listen. Okay. All y'all that saying insurance. Y'all a lot of y'all not even in my class. Y'all keep watching these masterminds. Alright, so let's look at bank premises and fixed assets. They put Night. Okay, wait. Let's go up. It says dollar figures in thousand. Dollar figures in thousand. 
Dollar figures in thousands. Somebody said, I'm a broker. Nayla said, I'm a broker. Okay, okay, you're a broker. Okay, I understand. <laughs> but I call a lot of these people in this insurance industry, okay? So just just, just, just relax, cousin. Dollar figures in thousands. That's, that means any number that we see, we have to add three zeros to it. Bank premises. So when you add three zeros, that's 19 billion. Plus the 37, 374. Add three zeros, 374 million. I understand, but my students know that I'm a tough cookie. They are. Right. So that means that $19.7 billion, $19.7 billion, the bank industry puts in real estate. Okay? Now let's look at where else do they store their cash. Wait a minute. Line 41, life insurance asset. Let's look. They put $19.4 billion in real estate, but $24 billion in what? Life insurance. Now, if y'all ain't been in my, if y'all been in my class, hush up, man. For the people that ain't been in my class, why would the bank put more money, liquid money, and insurance, life insurance, never they put in real estate. Why would the bank put more money in life insurance than they would real estate? Why would they risk taking capital money? Somebody said, because they're waiting to collect. People die every day. Well, let's type in Google. Let's see what Google says. Somebody said because a lot of people get term and it expires. Uh, the banks don't buy term insurance. So your advisor that advised you to get term insurance is not what the banks do. Matter of fact, term insurance is the number one profitability of insurance companies. Only 1% of term insurance ever pay out. 1%. That means that 99% of the time you outlive your term is free money for us that own permanent policies. We get to participate in the profits of the term policies expiring and nobody dying. So that ain't true. So let's look it up. Let's look it up. Y'all know that we're going to look it up together. Let's look up what. We're going to look up what is bank-owned life insurance. We're going to look at what is bank on life insurance. Bank on life insurance is a form of life insurance purchased by banks, where the bank is the beneficiary and also the owner of the policy. Okay, we know that. Here's the fun part. You ready? Such an insurance is used as a tax shelter for financial institutions. Notice it don't say nothing about nobody dying. It says that they use insurance as a tax, look, look, look at what it says, as a tax shelter. As a tax shelter. Well, let's play Blue's Clues. Let's look up what is the definition of a shelter? What is the definition of Shelter. We don't want to act like we know anything. It says 
is a place giving temporary protection from danger. It's to protect or shield something from something harmful. So I wonder what means protection from taxes. What means protection from taxes? Oh, shit. Money. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. So the banks... Let's finish it. Let's finish it. So they leverage this tax shelter for financial institutions, which leverages its tax-free savings, provisions as funding mechanisms for employee benefits. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So the banks put their extra cash inside of life insurance because it, it protects their money from taxes?
insurance companies provided slaveholders. Wait a minute. What the hell is a slaveholder? What the hell is a slaveholder? Damn, that's a slave master. Wait a minute. Insurance companies provided slaveholders coverage for the damage to or death of their slaves. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Damage to, wait a minute. So even back when we were slaves, slave owners got paid if we got damaged? So life is short. Wait, 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 wait. They only taught us, they only taught us that life insurance They only tell us that life insurance only works if we die. Why in the hell did they have a different type of life insurance even back then that we didn't know about? Let's keep reading. For the damage to or death of their slaves, at rates substantially higher, At rate substantially higher than for oh my gosh, I keep freezing, bro. At rate substantially higher for white lives impose a certain coverage restrictions, da 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 that doesn't matter. Foster says all day emancipation ended the slavery era, insurance business, race based practices resurfaced in other life insurance markets following the reconstruction. Here we go, y'all ready? Following the Civil War. Race-based practices first emerged in a specialized form of life, ins- life insurance marketed to low-income working people. Beginning in 1870, newly formed life insurance companies, the big three, y'all can read that on y'all, sold small individual policies to a growing market of low-income wage earners. This type of life insurance called industrial or burial insurance provided protection against the financial burden or last illness and burial of the industrial classes, simply meaning that the only insurance that was sold to us was death insurance. We had no idea about the wealth development that you can use inside of life insurance. We had no idea. And let me give you something else. If you were, if you were poor and white, you got sold the license, same life insurance too. Oh, oh, y'all thought y'all was better than us. Them rich white folks don't give a damn about no poor white people either. <laughs> so what are you saying, Jay? I am saying the reason why you have no idea how you can build wealth through life insurance is because it was never sold to you either. 
We never learned that the banks have been using these principles since the beginning of time. And because you never learned it, you can never utilize it. You can never utilize it. Guess what, family? Guess what, family? You can never build true wealth like banks do. Using life insurance reserves is one of the top strategies in banking. More life will be thinking, well, because I'm white, I'm better. Let me tell you something. If you grew up poor and white, here's a small little fun fact for a lot of y'all black folk out there that feel like every white person in the world owe you reparations. Can I give you a small fact? He's talking about somebody who's black and proud and only focuses on teaching our people and anybody else that want to associate with our people. The majority of white folk didn't have enough money to even own slaves. Most of were poor and raggedy just like you. Now, we may have got an ass here. <laughs> they were poor just like us. And what the wealthy do, they understand the importance of divide and conquer. The wealthy don't see color. They see ways to get cheap labor or ways to create systems that can pay them on a consistent basis. Y'all ain't ready for that conversation today. So let's go back to banking. Why would they want banking for insurance? Because you get a guaranteed 4% every year. The money goes tax-free, and the money you can access is tax-free. It's no stock market danger. It's liquid, and it's convenient, and you control 100% of it. I prove that conventional wisdom that we know about finances is inaccurate. The reason why I teach people these bank strategies and this understanding of history before I teach you how to build a bank is because how can you believe that I know what I'm talking about if I do not have research and data based on our government that can show that I know what I'm talking about? Now, I wouldn't want to live in any other country. That's just a fact. Based on my experiences of traveling. However, conventional wisdom that you understand about wealth, there's a reason why this perpetual machine of us trying to capture wealth seems so eluding. It's because we have no understanding that conventional wisdom of building finances only builds one house, and it's a bank. So we have to understand what insurance is. Insurance is a means of protection from financial loss. It is a form of risk management primarily used to hedge against the risk of a contingent or uncertain loss. All right, peace to God. So um, next week, I will pick up on the second part of that um, because it's a pretty long audio. um, And it cut out, too. um, So I'll try to find the rest of that audio as well. Uh, We got the webinar coming up this week. Make sure you register if you want to get on it. We're going to be going into family trust and private banking. All right, so... Um, if you missed anything, go back and listen to the show. It's available on podcast. Go to makemorecommerce.com to register. All right. Uh, we'll take a real short break. If you want to holler at me, put your hand up. Um, and if not, when we come back, have some final words, and then we'll get out of here. 
at rates substantially higher for white lives imposed a certain coverage restrictions, da 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 that doesn't matter. Boston says, all day emancipation ended the slavery era, insurance business, race-based practices resurfaced in other life insurance markets following the reconstruction. Here we go, y'all ready? Following the Civil War, race-based practices first emerged in a specialized form of life, ins- life insurance marketed to low-income working people. Beginning in 1870, newly formed life insurance companies, the big three, y'all can read that on y'all, sold small individual policies to a grand market of low-income wage earners. This type of life insurance called industrial or burial insurance provided protection against the financial burden or last illness and burial of the industrial classes, simply meaning that the only insurance that was sold to us was death insurance. We had no idea about the wealth development that you can use inside of life insurance. We had no idea. And let me give you some news. If you were if you were poor and white, you got sold the license same life insurance too. Oh, y'all thought y'all was better than us. Them rich white folks don't give a damn about no poor white people either. (laughs) So what are you saying, Jake? I am saying the reason why you have no idea how you can build wealth through life insurance is because it was never sold to you either. You never learned that the banks have been using these principles since the beginning of time, and because you never learned it, you can never utilize it. You can never utilize it. Guess what, family? Guess what, family? You can never build true wealth like banks do. Using life insurance reserves is one of the top strategies in banking. Well, white folks be thinking, well, because I'm white, I'm better. Let me tell you something. If you grew up poor and white, here's a small little fun fact for a lot of y'all black folk out there that feel like every white person in the world owes you reparations. Can I give you a small fact? You're talking about somebody who's black and proud and only focuses on teaching our people and anybody else that want to associate with our people. The majority of white folk didn't have enough money to even own slaves. Most of them poor and raggedy just like you. Now, we may have got our ass with <laughs> They were poor just like us. And what the wealthy do, they understand the importance of divide and conquer. The wealthy don't see color. They see ways to get cheap labor. They ways to create systems that can pay them on a consistent basis. Y'all ain't ready for that conversation today. So let's go back to banking. Why would they want banking through insurance? Because you get a guaranteed 4% every year. The money goes tax-free, and the money you can access is tax-free. It's no stock market danger. It's liquid and it's convenient, and you control 100% of it. I prove that conventional wisdom that we know about finances is inaccurate. The reason why I teach people these bank strategies and this understanding of history before I teach you how to build a bank is because how can you believe that I know what I'm talking about if I do not have research and data based on our government that can show that I know what I'm talking about? 
Now, I wouldn't want to live in any other country. That's just a fact. Based on my experiences of traveling. However, conventional wisdom that you understand about wealth, there's a reason why this perpetual machine of us trying to capture wealth seems so eluding. It's because we have no understanding that conventional wisdom of building finances only builds one house, Mr. Bank. So we have to understand what insurance is. Insurance is a means of protection from financial loss. It is a form of risk management primarily used to hedge against the risk of a contingent or uncertain loss. Uh, it looks like the audio just cut out, period, uh, at, the end, at the end of that, that lecture. You know, when and it happens to all of us, man, when the information starts getting good, they cut it out. All right? So I'll, uh, next week, I'll get into the, the next part of that um, after we do the first part of our webinar. All right? Uh, let's go to 310403. You're on the line. What's happening? Yeah, peace, Joey. What's good? What's up, bro? Peace of God. Yeah, man, I came in. I don't know how much of that I missed at the beginning, but I heard quite a bit of it. But, uh, so, uh, I'll definitely go back and oh, check yeah, you out the first part. The you got to go back to the beginning. Okay. 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 Yeah, I just, I just basically chimed in to say, I mean, that, that's pretty much it about insurance. So when you look at it, I've been in the insurance industry on the claim side for a while now. And when I started learning this info, that's the first thing I realized that insurance is a trust. Like, you know, it's, you're the grantor, then the, the policy yep. is the indenture. They they have agents to deal with you and everything like that. I mean, that's it's a trust. And you're it's a, a trust. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's what I was talking about um, earlier. Um, I don't know if you heard that part of now, but under under the Securities and Exchange Commission 144A, they sell the security. Right, and they're doing private security. Mm-hmm. So, and that's exactly what that is, right? You you, you buy a private security, and they turn around and they and they resell the security. So they making money off of your money while you making money, or, or while you paying. Yep. yep. Yeah. My my first first job in insurance, the first uh, training class I had, they broke down the structure, and they explained like the you know the amount of profit that you're supposed to be getting. And it's really not that much. They make most of their money and do most of everything on in banking. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. So the two, the two are interact. You know, they completely interact. Man, it's you know, and that's why I got to make sure that in this, in this webinar, people really understand the, the banking side of the, of the family corporation trust because that's what families do. That's what I mean. They set up banks. You know, and if you ain't doing mm-hmm. that, then, then we lose it. Yep. Yep. I agree. This, this shit is crucial, man. You know, once we learn the whole concept of how the private bank, like, 
like really private bank. You know, as a family, mm-hmm. our family bank with your family. This, you know, and then it, goes, it keeps going on and on. And then there's the credit system. Then we can lend each other credit. Mm-hmm. So now we become lenders. That's how I was talking about last week. You come outside of the, the quadrant, and you now go to the side of the quadrant, whether you on the left or the right. You become a lender because look, lenders lending on the left and on the right. Mm-hmm. Lenders are creditors. Lenders is creditors. Straight up. Yeah, man. This information powerful, man. I think, you know, like I said, unfortunately, man, a lot of people just don't grasp it, but this shit is like life changing information. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to be rich, man. Nobody wants to learn the info to get rid of Nobody wants to learn the info. But this is the brass tax of it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so just, I'm you know, it's something that's not sexy, it's not cool, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> hey, it don't like matter. You get in the club at first. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's okay. Hey, and that's okay. It, it, it'll help you own the club. It'll help you give, or, or yeah. uh, let me rephrase that. It'll help you lend the money to the person who wants to own the club. Right, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So the way I see it, hey man, we, you know this is this is ballpark information, man. We're hitting it out the ballpark, man. And and the, you know, and here's the big thing about this info too is that once we grasp that this information is what we truly need to be successful, like on on a long term basis, then maybe. We'll start, you know, we'll stop killing each other and shit in our communities, bro. We'll start valuing each other's life. You know, white folks they buy life insurance because they understand the value of it. Then they understand the value of each other's lives. Well, we ain't gonna kill them. Just put life insurance on them. <laughs> That's what they do. It's time for you that know? payout. Yeah, I mean it's, you know. It, it really is, and that's why I said, man. Even, you know, I've seen this in my own family. You know, my my old man couldn't get life insurance because his health got so bad. You know, and then the policy he had, they shut it down. So now it makes me, you know, and then I have to even wonder because, you know, and I, I'm okay to talk about this in the public, but you know, my, my old man got horrible health care uh, when he passed in the hospital. You know, and I have to wonder, you know, like the brother mentioned, how, you know. How they had insurance on slaves, so they got paid if they died or they got hurt. You know, and I have to wonder, man, when you go to these hospitals, man, if they ain't got insurance, so you know, hey, it's like, look, fuck it, let the person die in our care, and we'll make even more money. You know, almost like you're a medical student. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it gets modernized at the end of the day. You look up those hospitals, the history of them. They started off as death houses, like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I, bro, I, 100%. I've been sitting back like, okay, you know, now, now I, now I can understand that this information, man. You know, like the brother said, man, there's Jim. I had never heard of Jim Crow insurance before, but right. it still exists. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that, that's the part that kind of interests me is is learning that side of how these corporations or whoever take out policies on their employees, like how, how that side works and everything. Because you know, I'm I'm looking at it. The family trust is set up, then the trust can take out policies on the beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I did a business deal. Well, I was going to do a business deal for about four years ago or so. And I got to read the contract in the deal, and um, and I was I was going to be an investor, right? And um, and there were some other people who were going to invest with me, and so I got to look at the contract, and I seen in the contract that they wanted to put life insurance on us as investors. I, I said, Oh no, nah, I can't sign this contract. You can't put insurance on me. Had I signed that, they would have put life insurance on me. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of like? Yeah, is that kind of along the lines where, you know, I know you know the music game like that. I know it's been a lot of young rappers, you know, and you know a lot of them yeah. are on the same label or were on the same label, and they, you know, they turn up dying. And I'm like, well, did that? Yeah. Is that label running that insurance racket on them? Listen, listen, and I and I say this, I say this, and I'm and I walk on ice saying this because because this is. Um, such a, a funny topic, right? But there was an artist that I helped out some years back. He was tied into a contract with one of those labels. Matter of fact, the label that Dolph was on, he was tied into that contract. So I did the paperwork that helped him get out of the contract, right? Um, and when you look at that label, more more rappers have died from from that particular label in the last five six years than most of the labels. Yeah. And, and they're not yeah, that's what that label. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, I, I look at that and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, we, we got to really understand what's happening here. You know, these labels are banks. We, we, mm-hmm. we put the security in your head and, 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 now, and now it's just like uh, when they lock people up, right? You know, they, they, they put them in there for a certain amount of time to make money off of them. You know, and hey, you know, when, when you're not making as much money as we need you to make as a rapper, then the next the next stage to that is we taking your ass out of here, so we can make even more mm-hmm. money on you when you. And that's fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And that's where your nationality comes into play at, you know what I'm saying, and all of that stuff. Because because then we start talking about the fact that, you know, they're looking at you like a slave. Yeah. Commodity. They treat you, and they hire you. Yeah, you 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 a liability now. You you you're not an asset no more. Dolph wasn't an asset no more. You telling me all of the money Dolph was making that another and Dolph was independent and then he went to the label. So all the money that he was making at that label, they didn't think enough to have security around that man. We just gonna let you walk around your hood. Uh, uh, Shorty Low, same way. Tupac, same way. Biggie Small, same thing. All the money these dudes is making, and we're not putting insurance on their life to keep them alive. We're putting insurance on their life to keep them alive until we're ready to take them out. Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's some really yeah. sad shit. Yeah. Well, it just, it gives you a, um, it kind of gives you into the peak, uh, like a peek into the mindset of these people, <clears throat> and how far above you they think they are. 
I mean, they look like I said, mm-hmm. they're looking at it like they're a grand tour setting up the trust, and they're going to use your, you and your contract, you know, to, to fund the trust, the life, you know, life insurance with the trust. And then they know exactly what it says in that policy on what it takes for the payout when it's ready. That's right. Right. Yeah. Come on, man. You got to think about this too. Like they, they know exactly. Like when you sign a three sixty deal, you know, man. Come on, man. Six plus three is nine. Nine deals with index. Or it's three sixty. Three sixty. Yeah. Oh, three sixes exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, come on, three sixty. Come on, six, 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 twelve, eighteen. Eight plus one is nine. We still go back to nine. So, well, I mean, yeah. you know, they they play number games too. But essentially, what we're talking about is is the fact that they know what they're doing when when we talk about the insurance game. You know, the the label is mm-hmm. the bank. Yep, just same same with movie that. studios. Movie studios are banks. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Big, oh, big, well, big, big, big same, same thing. thing. All the people Michael had around him, and he was getting the wrong pills. Yeah, uh, uh. you know, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, yeah, bro, I take this real serious, man, because I, I, I didn't see too many people in my family pass where there wasn't no insurance. But now it makes me want to even dig a little deeper and say, well, maybe there was some insurance because banks. Apparently, banks put insurance on your mortgage. Something happened to you, the bank gets paid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on your pension fund. Something happened to you, the pension fund gets paid. You know, I mean, all of these things, mm-hmm. you know, we, we got to really start assessing, you know, uh, what, what position are we playing? Mm hmm. You know, I refuse to be anybody's slave. I ain't your slave. You know, I ain't your boy. You know, uh, listen, bro. We we got to look at this from the aspect of: Are you going to be the bank? Yep. Thanks. What uh, absolutely, absolutely, said in that song, uh, terrorist threat. Like I ain't trying to be nobody's chattel. Straight up, straight up, I ain't your chattel. You know, yeah. I, you know, I ain't your cattle or your chattel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but people don't like yeah. that shit, man. Yeah. They're liking you when you become a threat to these people when you know too much. You know why we have to do shit as family. You know it's cool to have your own personal trust, but what about the family? How are we gonna protect your family? Mm-hmm. You know because you might not be a liability no more. You know, but but what about everybody else in the family? Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a mindset change, and then it's just learning basic knowledge on how to operate and run these things. That You know, that's, that's the knowledge that's kept from us in school. we got to go see it on our own. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a fact. It really is. That's why, like I said, that's why I said, man, when we get into the information in this webinar, we're going to go hard on it. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a lot of 
a lot of shit that we're going to drop. Because I'm going to start off, man, and we're going to dive into the structure, and then we're going to go into the banking side of this, you know, and the estate side of it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to we're going to encompass this thing as a whole, so people can actually start working on, you know, the tools that they need to become the banks. That's that's definitely mm-hmm. where our mindset got to be. Because I always think about this, right? And then we'll get out of here. But people are using cryptocurrency now. You know how many crypto banks are now popping up? People are oh, doing yeah. people yeah, and, yeah. and crypto banks are really taking the power away from the Federal Reserve and the central bank. They're taking the power from these people away. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I, I, mean, know, I know a brother right now operating a family crypto bank. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, a while back. I've been looking into that a lot, man. Like, uh, you know, I came across a dude from Chicago, the Chicago bully or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, crypto. And he, he basically goes in and teaches you all that, like how to use those DeFi platinum uh, platforms and, and all that, and basically bank with, become your own bank the crypto. You know, it's all digital. It is what it is. But I mean. Yeah, kind of two sides. Even with that, it's a public and private side to it, you know. Yeah, it it is because they're trying to regulate crypto and stuff now. And my only thing about crypto is not everybody is using it. It ain't it ain't wise. Maybe another thirty years would be wise. But everybody, people still depending upon cash. You know. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Hell, they got crypto back yeah. by gold now. Yeah. You know, so. You know, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's one of those things. We shouldn't look at it as an end-all, be-all, because it is what it is. But at the same time, it is a tool. It is a tool for wealth building. Yes, it yes, it is. We can't ignore it. And I mean, if you're going to be a business owner, and you're gonna, you know, you're going to run in that commerce. You're going to have to know it eventually. You know, like you said, it might not be yeah. until the future, but you're going to have to know. How to use it if you want to transact with everybody else, if you want to transact with the general public. Payment systems and all of that. So, might as well start yeah, learning absolutely. it. You, you might want to move some of your wealth into crypto, you know. Like I said, I, I said this on a while back, too. They got the shit, man, with crypto now where a motherfucker can buy the space above your head. Like, like literally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. And they can do that shit with crypto, like 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 what you mean? You own the airspace above me, above my house. Who you think you got? But that's, but that's some scary shit. Well, I mean, it just mirrors everything that's being done already in 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 flesh and blood. You know, they coming in, having buying up mineral rights under people's land and all you know all kind of stuff like that. Yep. yep. If we can buy the land under you, we can buy the air above you. There was a movie that came out about that too. About and I can't remember the name of it, but but they was charging people for air in the movie. (laughs) I don't know if you ever seen that. They got to yeah, they got to a point in time where society had gotten to where people had to pay for air. That sounds familiar. Does sound familiar. I forget. Oh no, I forget. But I don't know if it was a kids movie or what it was. I've seen it, and so, but people was paying for air, man. canned air, and all that shit. Air was a commodity, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, that, this, that's, that's you, what you know happens. 
whenever they show those futuristic movies and they show, you know, people paying for air or pollution is bad and all that, they, they're always only showing you the people in the city like that just, you know, stay bunched up in the city. Who knows how everybody else is living? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they, they they never show you people out in the country, do they? Yeah. They never show you those people. You know, but, I mean, the reality is, is, is uh, like the brother said, most people want to stay in the cities. We, we, we want to live inside yeah. of that city. So, you know, if I had the land, mm-hmm. well, I, I would not be in the city. Well, it's just, it got so, the cities got so big, but if you think back, you know, think back in the day, like, just simplify it, cities, that was usually where just all the commerce went. That's where all the shops and stores and everything were. So people went down there, and that's where they crossed paths, but then they went home. Nobody lived in those places. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's where a lot of your downtowns and stuff came, came about at. And then the city expanded from there in the riverfront. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Yeah, man. You know, we we gotta look at start looking at these things holistically, man. Because part of this this whole you know wealth building, family trust, private banking stuff is to buy land. Yeah. So to be off the grid. You know, right. to create. Yeah, that's uh, basically. Ghost towns and shit like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And getting into the. You know, having to trade people and everything that can do it and getting into the energy and all that. I mean, you know, it's, but you're right. It all starts with like banking and all that and getting that done first and then going from there. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you calling in, dog. You already know. Um, I hope to see you on the yep, webinar. Okay. Um, that's, that's what's up. And uh, next week, we'll. We'll pick up part two of this. All right. Peace. All right. Peace, God. Yeah, peace. All right. That's what's up, man. We're going to get about it here. I'll see y'all next week. Uh, webinar is Tuesday. Make sure you register Tuesday for the webinar, private banking webinar. All right. And uh, we'll get back with you then. I'll say peace to the God. Hey, more comments. Stock up.